same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still. Other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the famous parable of the sower, and first of all, Jesus explains it himself further down, so I will not attempt to explain it. I will let Jesus come later with the explanation of it. The first point which has to be made here is a different one, as it follows. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. This is a very subtle and interesting point here. First of all, you can see that although Jesus is somewhere at the origin of a world religion, that means something which is accessible to all, available to all. And although Jesus, at times, he claims himself to be so very open and universal, he says, I have spoken and taught openly in synagogues and whatever. Actually, he is not teaching always that open. First of all, he himself has it, says it here. And he says, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you. That means his disciples who asked him. Therefore, they got more knowledge than the others. The others got a watered-down version of it, which is telling it in parables. Telling it in parables, things become a little bit like a fairy tale. They are interpretable one way or another. Some people will understand it this way, some people will understand it the other way around, some people will be confused by it, and Jesus doesn't seem to have a problem with that. He actually seems to understand very organically that not everybody is meant to understand everything completely. 
Even Jesus who comes and claims I have come to take upon myself the sins of the world. Even Jesus who comes and claims I have come to give all humans access to the kingdom of heaven, to the spirituality of God, nevertheless does not go beyond this level. This level concerning knowledge is still somewhere below limits. I told you that many people misunderstand this story with Jesus, that Jesus came to take the sins of the world. And people ask themselves, then why later Christians, they still had diseases or wars or pains or whatever? Because if Jesus took their karma, then they shouldn't have had any more pain because that's the meaning of it, right? Suffering is proceeding from a negative karma. But we have to clarify it very carefully, very clearly. Jesus did not come to take the physical karma of people. Not because he couldn't have done it, but because he didn't find the meaning in that it was not the meaning for the world. Jesus indeed took a karma, as I have expressed it earlier in these conferences, Jesus indeed has taken a karma from the bulk of mankind. But that karma is not the karma which refers to people's diseases or to people's physical pains or whatever. That one can also be burned. That one can also be forgiven by God. You can say that if you pray to Jesus, Jesus might as well take that karma away from you. But nevertheless, that was not the primary purpose of Jesus to be done for everybody. The primary purpose of Jesus was to take away a spiritual karma which was blinding people, which was keeping them away from God. That people did not have a clear concept of God. That people were not able to feel close enough to God. That people were afraid of God. That people felt distant from God. And Jesus comes and brings this idea of God being very close, that He answers to you that you can pray that God is like your father, that God is really, really close to you. And in this way, you should dare, you should dare to be close to God. And in this way, everything I'm trying to say here is that, uh, of course, Jesus took some karma, but as you can see, it's not even a karma of knowledge. It's not like explaining the mechanisms. The mechanisms are not explained. It says somewhere in a, one of the later stages of the Jesus of life that after Jesus resurrected, he spent a few days with the disciples and if all the things which he has taught them would have been written down, many books like this would have to be written down. After all, you can ask yourself, where did those people have knowledge of so many things? Suddenly, in 30 years or whatever, you have an institution where people are anointed as priests. They are already rituals. They are serving the mass. They are doing all kinds of things like the communion or whatever. question is how did they learn to do this, Peter and the others? Obviously, Jesus has taught to them many other things which have survived only as an oral tradition. They are not written. That is why many of the things which are known in Christianity and which are shared by some of the great saints of Christianity 
and saints and mystics, they are automatically coming from that kind of knowledge which Jesus did not give openly and it is the kind of knowledge which is not even written in the Bible. That's why if you expect some knowledge about healing or if you expect some knowledge about, I don't know, negative entities, demons and their pernicious influence, if you expect explanations about the laws of the universe and how some of the realities of the universe are, it is very presumable that Jesus gave a lot of explanations of those which are not mentioned because that is written very clearly several times. But, as you can see, Jesus himself, the lover of man, understands this thing that knowledge is not for everybody and that's not even the point where he wants to bring the karma. And he says, uh, that knowledge of the kingdom of heaven has not been given to them. To them, he is giving them a forgiveness of sins, so to speak. He is giving to them an opportunity to have openness toward God, to regain faith, to have the door towards God open. But basically, he is not giving in this situation the exact knowledge. And here he says something which is nothing else but the law of resonance, expressed in a marvelous way. Whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Quote, Though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. First of all, this law, whoever has will be given more and whoever doesn't have will be taken the little which he have is a very very spectacular law which speaks about resonance if you have love then automatically you think love thinking love you will be in resonance with love and automatically you are going to get more through the very simple level through the very simple fact that you maintain yourself on that level that means you have and actually you get more it's like a positive circle in which this thing this thing is amplified whoever doesn't have even the little which he had will be taken from him that means if I'm having a little bit of Anahata Chakra and I'm never using it I'm never thinking in that way I never go into that frequency then automatically in 30 years I will lose the little which I had and it will be buried under a mound of stress and other energies and other things and then slowly, slowly I will become more and more particular in another direction. Therefore, the little which I have tends to disappear. If I am, for example, uh, I don't know, having a lot of water energy, then there is no wonder that my fire energy decreases and decreases. The more water I have, it's the more like I'm leaning towards my Svadhisthana and my Manipura Chakra tends to decrease. The water and fire will not be friends with each other. It's like one tends to take predominance. It's like if the imbalance is created, then that imbalance becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And basically the little which was compensating seems to disappear completely. This can be 
applied in so many ways. Basically, Jesus says, you who had some spirituality, now I'm giving you even more. That means it is presumable that people who were already a little bit spiritual were called by Jesus to this ministry. That means Jesus, obviously, he didn't pick up people at random from the crowd, but he obviously picked them up among those who were interested, among those in whom he could see a spiritual gift. And automatically, those people had something. Should they have not met with Jesus, they would still have been spiritual seekers. They would have been among the most spiritual people of their generation. But Jesus comes and says, well, I picked you up from being the best in the flock. And now I'm going to make you really, really the best. You are going to get much more. You had, you are going to receive much more. This is seen sometimes because the divine consciousness sometimes overflows in these ways. Like, for example, there may be a person who, is, who needs to go into some spiritual mission. Like, you can wonder... How does a person become a spiritual representative for a whole age? Why do we speak, still speak now about a Socrates or about an Aristoteles or about this or a very spiritual people representing a whole age, representing a whole society? It's obvious that somehow, sometimes, the divine consciousness needs to give something to that society. That means the people in the time of Socrates or the people in the time of whoever, uh, other philosophers or spiritual people, they deserved. It was a divine need that they should receive that kind of spirituality. And then it's exactly like the divine has to look at the human beings who are available for that. And suddenly there are like 10 candidates. There is a lineup. And suddenly the angels can observe that this one is the best. Therefore, this one will become the Socrates of the time. That means he will be supported more. That means he is like 75% qualified, but God has a particular interest. And therefore, that man who is 75% already there, he will be given another 25% through the angels, and through the grace of God, just to have everything that he needs to have, because he has a mission to fulfill, because God wants to fulfill something to that person. Therefore, the one who has shall be given even more, because sometimes there is this law of overflow. And on the contrary, the one who doesn't have, by not cultivating it, is spiraling down. Remember that in humanity, sometimes things are going relative. The environment is not stable. It is dynamic. That means humanity and the evolution of the human society can be compared with the flow of a river. The river is not stationary. It flows. That is why even when you say, well, I'm stationary, I'm not better and not worse than I was 10 years ago. You are not but the society in which you live might have become much worse than 10 years ago. And then relatively to it, you are the same, 
but relatively to God, which is immutable, you are worse than before. That is why sometimes this is a matter that uh, the fact that you don't have, it actually makes that you are getting less and less. Because remember what Jesus said, there is a narrow path which is uphill, which goes to perfection, and there is an easy road which goes down to destruction. Just let go and flow, roll with the rest of the world, and you are going down, you are not going up. The path of minimal resistance is not the path of the spiritual warrior, it is not the path of the one who fights for their spirituality. And that is why, <coughs> basically here, it is this because the one that the one who has will be given more, it's again a relative thing. I have and I am standing by what I have. I am a man who is full of love and I stand by my loving character and all the time I will try to be selfless and loving and good. In 30 years that will be much more rare than it is today and it will come out much more obviously than it is today that means the fact that I have and I stay by it is also relative to the fact that the world is dynamic never forget that because there are many people who think that if they stay I didn't become better but I didn't become worse relative to the society levels then automatically that is, there is for them an excuse Remember, it doesn't work that way because automatically when you apparently stay, you are flowing with the river and you are going down. I remember once uh, I read about a master who was being asked, he had been asked uh, what means evolution in the time like Kali Yuga because there are so many obstacles and there are so many difficulties in a Kali Yuga. And this man asked, answered, in Kali Yuga, it is enough not to fall. If you can keep yourself from falling, because everybody around keeps falling, is in almost in free fall. The moral values which only 50 years ago were solid, today are challenged and they have gone to the dogs completely. And therefore, if you would stay at least as if you were 50 years ago, today everybody will say, whoa, you are so old-fashioned, you are so different, you are so like this and like that. And basically you didn't do anything, you just stay, you just maintain your level. That means remember, if we would be able to have a morality and a spirituality like people had a hundred years ago, we would already be very, very unusual for this MTV generation in which we live. We've already be considered old-fashioned, fanatic, intolerant, weird, extreme, whatever, politically incorrect or whatever. And that, it, that simply means if you have, suddenly you will be like a giant compared with the rest because the rest keeps falling down. And if you don't have, if you stick there, actually you are going down and you are having less and less. This is a very intelligent parable, defining at the same time the law of resonance, and at the same time defining this process of dynamic evolution,
that everything flows, nothing is ever, nothing is ever stable. Remember. And he says, he quotes actually from one of the prophets by saying, Though seeing, they do not see, though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them, he continues, is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. Quote, you will be ever hearing but never understanding, you will be ever seeing but never perceiving, for this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Basically, this is amazing. He said it before when he spoke about the pearls, not to cast the pearls to the swine, that there is a necessity for that, and as you can see, the prophet Isaiah, from where he takes this, idea who has expressed it in this way it is very clear all this is happening because the people's heart has become callous hardened that means somebody talks and it doesn't get to you somebody tells you the best things about non-violence or controlling your emotions or about this or that and you listen and it never gets to your heart you are like yeah yeah right but it's like, I still know what's best for myself. It never gets to me. My heart is hardened. I am full of my ego. And in this way, I see, but I do not perceive. I see, but I cannot understand. I hear, but I do not understand. Jesus at some point himself says, I'm talking to you, but not all my words are staying inside you. It's like the famous proverb, which says it entered through one year and exited through another, through the other one. It's kind of, I'm like, the information comes and goes. Many things are said, but when your karma does not allow you to perceive it, some things you forget immediately. You take them at face value, you take them lightly, you say, yeah, yeah, right, I got that, yeah, right, pretty clear. That means you don't go into it and say, let me study this. Let me read it. It's like Gurdjieff said when he wrote his book. He said, this book, read it three times. The first time you'll read it stupidly like you read newspapers and like you read everything. The second time you'll read it a bit deeper and only the third time the essence of the things will start coming to you. In the same way, it's like Jesus says, I'm telling you some things. The words are here. You can read them. But perhaps if you will read them three times, then you will start really understanding. It's like first time your karma can play games with you. You read and you say, yeah, yeah, pretty clear. I got this one. No, it's not that clear, actually. Remember that even in the time of Jesus and before in the prophets, they say that people hear but do not understand. Remember the famous quote which you have in your courses of yoga where Tantra Sara says, above those who read are those who understand, and above those who understand are those who use and learn how to apply. There is a hierarchy, and Jesus is aware of this hierarchy. He simply says, those people will hear, but they will not understand. And 
you can see what an amazing thing is. It's like the prophet Isaiah speaks with the voice of God. He speaks in the first person and he says, Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Which means, I don't want them to turn, I don't want to heal them. That means, theoretically, so what's the, what's the big deal? What's wrong with that? Don't we actually want them to turn towards what is spiritual, towards God? Don't we want to heal them? Here you can see that Jesus, in the voice of the prophet Isaiah and others, they are very detached. Not everybody is supposed to be turned or healed today. Not necessarily by me. It's not an ambition, a personal ambition. I am going to show you that I can save the whole world. You will see, it happens in the yoga and it happens everywhere that people come, sometimes people drop off the path, they get lost, they come again, they disappear again. There are people who simply do not resist the pressure and they disappear out in the mist, out in the matrix. And that's something which is very well known. Not everybody can resist. Remember that Jesus at some other point himself says, for many, many are called and few are chosen. It's like a trial. It's like a selection. Many people start doing yoga. Many people enter in Christian monasteries or in Buddhist monasteries. But not everybody who enters in a monastery or starts doing yoga will reach enlightenment. At least not in this life. There is a pyramid of selection. There are few. There are few in a generation who reach the states, the full states of enlightenment. And that is simply the natural selection, if you prefer, like this. And that is why this is understood. It is not possible. This is a utopian charity that, oh, I wish so much that everybody can reach nirvana. And it's not possible. Some of the souls are young. Some of the souls have karma. They have to learn. In spite of your best intentions, you cannot force everybody's evolution. This earth is not populated by spirits who are 99% enlightened and they just wait to reach nirvana. They just have one more step to fulfill. On the contrary, they are in, on this planet incarnated spirits which are just freshly coming from the animal nature. They are spirits who are coming from all kinds of previous demonic existences or others. They are definitely not right. They have to grow up. They have to mature. They have to do a lot of mistakes. They have to bite the dust. They have to repent. They have to come up. They have to search the way. This takes time. It takes lives and so on. Nobody can violate this process. Not even Jesus. You can say that perhaps Jesus could. Yes, as power, he probably could. In the... Bhagavata Purana in India, it is said very clearly, if a man reaches the full condition of liberation, like the Baba Samadhi, the full enlightenment, then that person can enlighten in one stroke all the other beings of all the three lokas, of all the three worlds of the universe. Basically, you can say, well, have we had somebody like this? Jesus for sure, 
but maybe perhaps we had at the level of Bhava Samadhi, not to speak about avatars, maybe we had people like Ramakrishna, like Vapinava Gupta, like Shankaracharya, like real big enlightened beings. If they could enlighten everybody on this planet, why on earth didn't they do it if they really think, if they really stated that they had compassion? After all, if they had so much compassion, they could just enlighten all the three billion of us in one stroke, and then humanity would change to the better, and there will be a golden future, right? But that is not possible through the laws of evolution. Remember that if God would have wanted that, it would have happened even without Shankaracharya or Ramakrishna. God doesn't need Shankaracharya to get the human beings of this planet enlightened. So when Shankaracharya reached to his enlightenment, he realized, well, people are what they are, because God wants them to be what they are. They are each one in their own stage of evolution, and nobody is supposed to fiddle with that and spoil that. That is why it is possible to give a path for those who yearn for liberation. It is possible to give a solution. It is possible to give a method and a teaching, but still it's not possible to force it upon people, to enforce it upon people, because if it were like this, God would have done it first of all. God would have been the first one to enforce it upon his children. Just here is enlightenment, have it, and stop asking stupid questions. Stop doing silly mistakes. But it is not possible. And that is why Jesus understands very well the wisdom of God, the will of God, and the fact that there should be always on this planet, it's true more in Kali Yuga, less in Satya Yuga, but still that there should always be different levels of evolution. On this planet, we have today people who live like animals, we have today people who live like wild beasts, we have today cannibals who still eat human flesh, and we have people who think about the theory, the theory of relativity and quantics, we have people who think about enlightenment and Kashmir Shaivism, we have people who conceive of compassion and bodhisattva ideals. We have people who have reached enlightenment on the same planet in which we have people who, although in a human body, they live the life of beasts and animals. And therefore, this division is known. Those spirits who are incarnated in those low human beings, they are inferior spirits. If this planet would be made only of high spiritualized humans, those low spirits would have no place to be born. There would be not a planet for them to be reincarnated. Where would they fit? They cannot reincarnate in such an advanced structure. Therefore, simple tolerance says that exactly as the cockroaches and the rats have their own holes and they exist at their own level, nature has made possible even for the human beings to exist freely at all kinds of levels some of them at a more primitive, beastly level, some of them at a more sophisticated level, some of them at a more spiritual level and a more enlightened level. So in this way, you can see that the prophet Isaiah says it's logical that they should not understand and you should not try to force that. It is identically mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, let those who are awakened spiritually and know not try to enforce it on those who are asleep. That means we are teaching yoga. 
but I am not trying to go like the Jehovah's Witnesses to people's door and bang in the door and to enforce on them Samadhi and Yoga because it is the law of God that not everybody yet seems to be fit for that and if everybody will be fit for that we will be the first to know suddenly we'll be overwhelmed with requests from people trying to practice yoga and to get enlightened but that is not the case and it is wisdom it is god's wisdom why that is not the case that is why even a powerful one like jesus does not do anything jesus did not come to enlighten everybody but to lighten the task of those who wish to go to God by removing some form of spiritual karma, some form of spiritual hindrance, some form of spiritual obscurity. That is why this can sound almost sadistic, like those who are going down, they are going down, and it sounds like God lets them go down, God let them down. No, God would sustain them, should they ask to be sustained if they are flowing down with the river then they just have to take their own lesson many people will shrug their shoulders and will say i did stupid things because it was kali yuga and everybody around me was so dark and so materialistic and so demonic that what can i do but the laws of karma and the high spirits that govern the evolution of spirits in this universe they will say well tough luck for you. We hope that next time when you'll be incarnated in Kali Yuga, you'll remember your blunder of now and do better. Because after all, that's the thing. You have to learn. The fact that you screwed up is also a learning. The fact that you flopped and you made a fiasco out of your life is a bitter lesson and bitter lessons can be very positive as well because at least they give you a big kick in the butt and they teach you not to waste your life not to waste such a precious life and that is why no actually there is no way in which the divine will prevent people from falling from going down they go down they have to bite the dust and find that that's not the way to go even that is a lesson Therefore, that freedom cannot be taken, and no, it's not a cruelty of God, it's not a sadism of God. It is simply a clear expression of the fact that the spirits are free, and they are roaming through this universe, accumulating experience, accumulating learning. And he continues, But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. That means now you understand, you have been initiated, you are the inner circle. That's always the meaning, the division of humanity in inner circle and outer circle. It is the famous words from uh, Greek or Latin, I don't remember right now, from esoteric and exoteric, it's probably Greek. Esoteric, the inner circle, and exoteric, the outer circle. Christianity itself, as you can see, it was supposed to have had an inner circle. People who knew the real things of it. For, because of Kali Yuga requiring it, this flush of spiritual life, this gift of spiritual life which came with Jesus, diluted and diluted and it became more and more lost. You can still be convinced that the fathers of the desert some 1500 years ago 
who were walking on water and raising the dead, many of them were fully aware of the laws of the universe and they had this esoteric knowledge. But the more the religion has become an institution, the more and more it has become exoteric. Today, Christianity itself is almost all the forms of Christianity, exception made of some timid streaks in the Coptic Church of Egypt, in some of the Hezekiah's teachings of the Orthodox Church and others, but very timidly, the Christian Church itself does not accept that it has an esoteric core. It has lost its own esoteric core. It's like Christianity for everybody. Secrets of Christianity, the secret teaching of Jesus, what are you talking about? There isn't a secret teaching of Jesus, they will say. That is why the, in the first centuries of Christianity, the people who considered that they had this secret knowledge, they called themselves Gnostics from the Greek word for gnosis, which means knowledge. They were the knowers, the people who had the actual knowledge of the secrets of God. So, it would be like the esoteric part of Christianity has been the Gnostic Christianity, out of which the Coptic Christianity of Egypt today is one of the timid surviving branches. I'm telling you all those because so you should understand that of course there is an esoteric root in the Christianity. There have been even metaphysicians who have been able to see this. For example, the famous René Guénon that I kept mentioning for you, the famous French metaphysician and esoteric initiate called René Guénon, on account of his extraordinary esoteric and metaphysical knowledge, which, he, which allowed him to pierce through, to see through, uh, René Guénon was able to pierce the esotericism of Hinduism, of Buddhism, of Taoism, of Islamic path, and of Christianity. He wrote a book which is called uh, something like, uh, I think in French it's called Aperçu sur l'esotérisme de la tradition chrétienne, uh, a view on the esoteric core of the Christian tradition. If you find this book by René Guénon, you will be surprised to see that um, between the lines, in the writings of the great theologians of Christianity, such as Basil the Great, Gregory of Nyssa, um, Augustine and others, there is a lot of things such as Denisus the Areopagit, who writes clearly about the angels and how to communicate with angels and how many classes of angels there are and the differences between them and all the things there. And therefore there exists such a knowledge and it has existed. The fact that today if you go to a priest and ask him uh, what is the difference between the seraphims and the cherubims and give me a method to commune with the seraphims and they will shrug their shoulders and say this is, or they will try to wind you up by telling you that this is too advanced for you or whatever, it actually shows that the tradition has been lost and it is there. You are, go But nevertheless, it is there, but it has been lost even for the priests, even people who study theology. They are not initiated in the esotericism. They are exoteric people who just distribute a watered-down version for the masses and by 
the centuries and because it's Kali Yuga and the beautiful things are forgotten then automatically many things are forgotten in this way you are going to see René Guénon if you'll ever read he makes a beautiful analysis even of different levels of initiation like for example when you get a blessing from a priest and when you get a blessing from a bishop and when you get a blessing from a cardinal and when you get a blessing from the Pope himself because for example these ones will work on different bodies on different koshas each one of them is initiated in such a way that even when they are stupid and they don't know a cardinal might never know this but his initiation makes it possible for him to give an initiation or a blessing at the level of Vijnana Mayakosha which for example a priest cannot do because he doesn't have the degree of initiation but both of them will be unable to make the difference because they don't feel and they don't know they are not Gnostic they are, they are not knowers they have fallen themselves to the level of the crowd to the level of the exoteric and that is why Jesus defines very clearly the esoteric the inner circle those people who are told what is what and Jesus tells them maybe you are not aware of what you are being taught today but then realize for I tell you he says the truth for I tell you the truth many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear and but did not hear it this is indeed amazing first of all Jesus tells them even prophets have not had such an, a crazy opportunity like you have now with my coming because I am giving you directly the keys to the kingdom of heaven I am giving you the direct path the path of love the path of surrender the direct path to God that means this is like a grace many people would say well but the prophets won't they get pissed off because they will say why should every Tom, Dick and Harry get it then and we warn our knees doing prayer in the desert and living on chestnuts or whatever we lived on and we didn't get to see this thing is God unfair is God unjust basically the prophets understand this law of grace that grace is completely independent and when you get something you get it because you get it and it is there exactly as we are doing these lectures and there is a manifestation of grace to them and sometimes you get to hear some things which are amazing and it is not because of me and it is not because of you it is because of the grace of God which manifests independently in its own ways we cannot force that grace we cannot force the hand of God to do grace in one way or another that simply manifests out of its own will and that is why yes there can be an apparent injustice like God is whimsy the prophets didn't get it but some people do get it many wise men they have tried to explain it although there is no ultimate rational explanation they have, they have observed for example that the deeper the Kali Yuga becomes and the less spiritual the people become and the less the numbers of those who are concerned with spirituality it's like God and the high spirits Shambhala and the others will give more the grace increases and you receive more to receive the knowledge that in this yoga courses you receive in one year 
you might be surprised that people like Milarepa, they might have got to study 20 years and they perhaps didn't get it even then. And then you will say, why? Because Milarepa was doing 30 times more yoga than I do. It's kind of, he, that guy was a giant in spiritual practice and I am a complete lazy man. What, why is God so unfair that he worked 20 years to get some information which I can hear in one year in a relaxed and pleasant way? Many gurus have said, because it's Kali Yuga and you also had the difficulty to come here and to do this. It's not easy also, there is another difficulty. But also the line would be, the bottom line would be that grace acts in its own mysterious ways and it comes when it comes and that's the law of it and you cannot judge it logically or by fairness. Grace does not even have to submit to fairness. It submits only to the divine consciousness and its ultimate requirements. And that is why Jesus is making people aware and remember very well you in yoga you are getting nowadays information which in the old days you might have had to knuckle for to work hard for it 12 years or more so that the guru should open up and give you some of these things and many maybe much of this information was not even given openly even then because there was no rational explanation for it there was no direct explanation so some explanations would be missing completely and still that is why put things into perspective and Jesus says listen to what the parable of the sower means now he talks to the inner circle and this is one which came out in public there are many probably who never came out in public they are not recorded in this text you can find some of them through the Gnostic text in the Gnostic text sometimes you find samples of some of this teaching which never became exoteric or public but this one is like a sample here is a sample of how things were explained outwardly and inwardly when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart this is the seed sown along the path the path means a footpath where people are treading on and the earth is solidified is hard and the seed thrown in that part will never pierce under the ground and will never have any chance to sprout or to become alive and therefore remember that he here defines there was a story with a spirit who comes and then if you screwed up then he comes together with seven other spirits and it will make things even worse. Here it's the same thing that basically because things flow, then things can become different. He says, when, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. That means even the little which you had, it's gone. You have just a thin varnish of spirituality you have been to Sunday school and learned a couple of things then the Kali Yuga is going down the society is becoming MTV and dark and eventually you lost even that and you get to accept all kind of abominations, you get to do all kind of ugliness because the world is just like that, that means the devil 
the evil one, as he says here, has come and taken even the one which you had. It was sown, but it died. A seed is there and it's valuable. It's put in the wrong place, it will die. I can give you a good teaching if you put it on a beaten road where it cannot sprout, it will be taken away. You will simply not have it. It's like the birds of the sky who came and took it. And this symbol is very clear. That means the fact that you receive, you can say, I have been to Bodh Gaya and have taken the Kala Chakra initiation with the Dalai Lama. Jesus would say, that's nothing. Because you took it and if you didn't practice it and you didn't understand it, it's kind of the birds of the sky came and took it away. It's not there. The fact that you took, uh, I don't know, you listened to a spiritual discourse held by somebody is nothing. That seed sown on the path. If you don't, if it doesn't sprout, if it doesn't become your life, it will be lost. The birds of the sky will come and pick it up and you will have nothing eventually. The one who receives the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. This is what you would call a straw fire, a hay fire, a flashing fire. Sometimes I have seen in yoga, we have people, they come and after three weeks of yoga, they come and would lie down like a carpet and say, I want to be your disciple, teach me about samadhi, my life will... And usually we always look with mistrust to this kind of people, because the people who turn on fire too quickly, they are usually straw fire, which burns flaringly for three days and then it's gone. Therefore, in spirituality, remember that it's a trip of a thousand miles and the trip of a thousand miles starts with one step. When you start climbing Mount Everest, you don't start running because if you run in 300 meters, you lose your breath and fall down. When you start climbing Mount Everest, you start with a small measured step. You know where you want to get and you will do it. It's the same in spirituality. This kind of superficiality means no roots, basically. This can be taken technically in yoga, like you have no roots in the meaning that you don't have enough energy. And remember, remember, remember that the spiritual process is a process which requires energy. Remember that the tantric texts demonstrate very clearly that eventually even the reaching of the state of Samadhi and the preservation of the state of Samadhi is a matter of energy. That means those who do not have enough energy, they collapse halfway. It's like their battery goes dead before the end of the match. Therefore, you cannot afford to have your battery go dead. There are two forms of vitality. The basic vitality of Mulakhara, if you don't have this one, you will die of illness, sickness, weakness, before reaching enlightenment. As I said once, like the disciples of Gurdjieff, some of them were pushed so hard that their body fell apart. So you can lose that one. 
and the second form of vitality or energy is the enthusiasm of the heart, the aspiration, the presence of Jivatman. And if you don't have that, again, you are going to have a big curiosity, you are going to be mad for three days, and then you are going to start doing bungee jumping or God knows what else. It's kind of this inconsistency to be like a butterfly, to be unstable. You try today one, then you try tomorrow one. The yogis are not like this. The yogis are stable. When they took a spiritual path, if they are convinced that that spiritual path is good and they get the right information and here they have one breakthrough, that here they grabbed God by the ankle, so to speak, that here they have one breakthrough which can take them to samadhi, then they will not abandon that. They will dig and dig until they get to water, until they find the layer of water. You never dig a well, only one meter, so it becomes a useless hole. You should dig until you find water. That is why Krishna is very clear. To reach yoga, you need, he says, detachment and perseverance. Without perseverance, it's not possible. This man, the seed which has fallen on the rock, is the man without perseverance. It is the man without roots, he calls it. No vitality, no vitality of the heart. His enthusiasm is just an intellectual, superficial enthusiasm. He doesn't actually love God. He doesn't actually feel an urge to escape from samsara. He doesn't actually feel aspiration. He just feels a kind of intellectual tingle, curiosity to see this or that. That will be over soon and such seeds have no future. That is why, remember, it is important to build your spirituality thoroughly. Don't forget this syntax that patience is one of the most important things in spirituality, if not the most important. Everything starts and ends with patience. I remember always with fun having seen an interview with a guy who was very, very a monk, who was very, very advanced in the ways of prayer, and he said what he was asked to give a fundamental teaching about spirituality. And he kept on repeating patience, 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 patience. And when you think you are done and finished, then start again with more patience and patience and patience and patience. You are going to see, even when you are going to reach high states of consciousness, even those of you who will have the blessing to reach states of samadhi and even to repeat them, that even then patience becomes the fundamental virtue. Lack of patience is lack of wisdom, always. Remember that everything can and shall be done with patience. The lack of patience is again a proof, a clear proof of superficiality, of no roots and of lack of wisdom. Patience, the Christian mystics have considered patience one of the main gifts of the Holy Spirit. They said when you are bathed in by the Holy Spirit, when you are submerged by the Holy Spirit, one of the gifts is patience. You suddenly have infinite amounts of patience. This patience is very important. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns 
is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. This is very clear. You can receive it, but the weeds are growing besides the seed. That means, what are the weeds? He says, the worries of this life. Don't worry, be happy. Stop worrying. Who can add a single inch to their stature, says Jesus. Consider the lilies of the field. Consider the birds of the sky. Why worry if you are with God? He says, even your hairs are accounted for. Why do you worry? People who worry, they are against Santosha. They are not living according to Santosha. And they are wasting the energy which should take them to Samadhi in worrying uselessly about other things. Instead of their wheat growing strong and vertical, they give their energy to the weeds of worries, and they worry and they worry until it kills their spirituality. And then they say, well, what, ha what could I have done? I had many problems. No, everybody had problems, but they simply did not worry about them. Remember that Milarepa had a lot of problems, and so did Buddha and everybody, and they didn't worry, they simply went for it. And therefore, this message is clear, and he says the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, aparigraha, attachment, possession, these are the two, santosha and aparigraha, not to have contentment and therefore patience, not to live in the present, and to be blinded by attachments of different kinds to wealth, or in extended yoga meanings as well with relationships and so on. You worry too much about your relationships, you worry too much about your wealth, you worry too much about your survival, you get attached to a lot of things, then your spiritual teaching is in great danger because it gets choked by the weeds of trouble. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. Indeed, a grain of wheat is producing sometimes thirty grains of wheat or sixty or a hundred or whatever. And therefore, in the same way, the spiritual man who has received the message produces the next generation. They are the ones who get disciples, they are the ones who transmit the message further, and one man who realizes the truth gives it further on to 30 other people who will go on the path of realization of the truth. And in that way, this is the gift of spirituality. This, there is a, a sea of connections here why wheat was taken as an example because wheat is one of the seeds which sprouts most and produces most multiplying the yield like 30 fold 60 fold 100 fold and wheat is used for bread which is the body of christ which is the eucharist which is the essential food and therefore wheat is an excellent symbol here for the spiritual thing for producing for multiplying spirituality and Jesus told them another parable the kingdom of heaven quote the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field 
But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed wheat among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. That's a direct parable to the judgment of days, to the doomsday, doomsday that the evil is apparently allowed to coexist. God can see the weeds because the sower, the man who has sowed the seeds, is God himself. And God has sown the seeds and the devil has planted the weeds. And therefore, you have the wheat and the weeds mixed. And many people ask, why doesn't God do something to correct that situation? It's just a matter of time, says Jesus. The divine can see the weeds, but says it's not fully black and white. Let's let them separate really, really well so that the, the wheat should be strong and the wheat should be strong. And then it will be very easy to separate the wheat from the wheat. If there is just a little bit of evil mixed with a little bit of good, it's very difficult to separate and it's arguable. Maybe it's not completely bad, maybe it's not completely good. Therefore, let's wait and see. It will propagate. Those which are evil will become even more demonic. Those which are good will become even more good. And then it will be black and white, wheat and wheat. And then the order is clear. I will tell the harvesters, whoever these harvesters are, they are symbols for the angels who are contributing to the judgment of days. Then I'll tell to the harvesters, and it's interesting as order, first collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned, that is going to hell, going to the outer darkness, and that is the doomsday thing, that first there comes the apocalypse, the hard stuff, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. That would be Satya Yuga, the survivors having their own spiritual reward to the fact that they are in the house of God, they are together with God. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. This is indeed amazing again, because he compares, he actually uses it at another time, the mustard seed is a motive which comes often, it, come, it comes again, he speaks about faith, if you shall have faith as much as a mustard seed, which is supposed to be really small, then you will move the mountains or whatever he says to have faith as a mustard seed is actually a lot because look what the mustard seed is the kingdom of heaven is the mustard 
is the mustard seed. Therefore, in his parable, he comes back and he says it is like a mustard seed. This is an allusion to, to the fact that the purusha aspect, to the fact that the non-manifested is immaterial. The great principles are like a seed. It's like a bija mantra, like the bija mantra of Manipura, which represents the whole cosmic fire. How can be the whole, a whole plane of this universe, the whole plane of the third plane of the universe, the plane of fire, be symbolized just by a three letter, by a syllable, by a bija mantra. And yet, people who have reached perfection in that mantra, they acknowledge that indeed, that mantra represents the whole level of the universal fire, of the fire tattva manifested on all its levels and sub-levels in this universe. And therefore, here is indeed a great wisdom that it is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, he says here, is like a mustard seed. It's a small thing. Today, in this materialistic world, who pays attention to God? Who wishes to pay attention to the mustard seed? The mustard seed is overlooked because it is quantitatively so little. And yet the biggest surprise comes precisely from the mustard seed. The mustard seed, the kingdom of heaven, is automatically attached with faith, which moves the mountains. And at the same time, it is simply the one which generates everything. Therefore, remember that the great truths are sometimes hidden in small things. Today, this quantitative materialistic way of living makes us overlook the essential. Ah, the kingdom of heaven, right, it's a small thing, I'll get it one day when I'll have time. Ah, spiritual things, right, if I have time in the evening, I'll do also something spiritual. It's kind of, we are not seeing, it's the mustard seed which gives everything. Therefore, he defines here this subtle causal nature of the kingdom of heaven. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. This is obvious because the yeast is like permeating the dough it is impregnating the Tao, it is pervading the Tao, and yet it is the one which makes it into bread. It is the secret agent in it which will make it swell, which will make it bakeable in that way. So basically, he again says, the kingdom of God is actually the essence of this universe. Without the non-manifestation, Without the Purusha aspect, without the spiritual aspect, <clears throat> this world could not exist. It is this secret invisible thing, the Shunya, the void, the great nothing, this punctual reality, this little singularity, this mysterious transcendent thing is actually what keeps the world running and it which keeps the Tao being a Tao and it is bakeable. Therefore, again here, Jesus is insisting on the subtleness, on the fact that the kingdom of heaven is invisible, it is subtle, we tend to neglect it, but without it, our existence would be nothing. The Kashmirian Shaivists, they have said, without the cosmic consciousness, this world, this world could
couldn't even exist. It is impossible to conceive of the existence of this universe without conceiving of an underlying supreme consciousness that supports it, that holds it. And therefore, actually the thing which is the last is the thing which is the first. The thing which seems the smallest is the thing which is the most important. This thin foil of consciousness which upholds the universe is the basis of existence of everything. It is like Jesus says in another parable someplace, the stone that everybody thrown away because it didn't have the right shape, then it has become the cornerstone and the most important. Because in the art of masonry, when you build vaults, when they are building vaults, in the top of the vault they put a special stone which was keeping a whole vault from not falling. And this stone had to have a special shape which was not usable for anything else. It was not a square stone which could be used for the wall. Therefore everybody would discard it and say this stone is useless. But the stone which is useless for the common things is unique and without it the whole architectural structure would not stand. In the same way the kingdom of heaven is this unique thing which keeps the whole reality going. Without it our lives become meaningless and therefore the wise men and women have always known this, that first comes the kingdom of heaven and then all the rest. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet, that is from one of the Psalms from David. I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Indeed, Jesus is revealing, is one of those who reveals the great secrets of existence, and he is revealing, as the prophet says, things hidden since the creation of the world. And But he is doing it in a smart way. He is doing it in parables, which creates an esoteric core and the exoteric aspect. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. He, his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned into fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out his kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is a stern warning that do not get deluded. The fact that the evil seems to be tolerated and to go on, it doesn't mean that God agrees with it. It's just a respite for making this separation more and more. It is very bad. It is very sad to be stopped in your ways later when it is too late 
and to be burned in the bundle and to get to where there is gnashing of teeth and what else, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And therefore, this warning is very clear. He says, he who has ears, let him hear. That means the law is expressed very, very clearly that there come turning points. The universe does not have a linear evolution. Not everything happens at every moment. There are moments which we call hiatuses. The end of an age is precisely such a hiatus. And when the hiatus comes, suddenly you can see what you have not seen before. Suddenly, where all all the angels which were supposed to do justice? They come only at some point. Take heed of the parable of Sodom and Gomorrah, which is not a parable, but it's supposed to be a real story, that at some point, the angels of God are going to check it up. And it's kind of, why not five months before? Why not five years before Sodom and Gomorrah? They did not become Sodom and Gomorrah in one day. Obviously, what was happening in those places had been going on for years, for generations. Why didn't the angels react earlier to that? It is exactly the same principle. To let the weed and the wheat separate clearly from each other so that you can select them very well. And in this way, some people unfortunately rely on this, that God seems to be dead, that the angels don't react. A lot of things happen and the darkness becomes more and more bitter. The materialism and the evil things become more and more bitter. And people say, see, God doesn't move a finger. God doesn't care. God is dead or God doesn't have power. And then when suddenly the day comes and the angels are unleashed, then you bite the dust big time and you say, why didn't I know before? That is why Jesus says wisdom is to remember this thing and to take it into account because if not, you are in for a big surprise and you don't want to have that big surprise. <clears throat> and he continues. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. This is very obvious that it is a secret thing, it is not being seen, it is not shared, you cannot share it with others, and other people would not pay any attention to it, and they will say, well, this is not important, and only that man will know that that field is valuable. He will sell everything he has and go there. That means when the human being is spiritualized in this way, then it becomes more and more exclusive. Remember that the more and more the spiritual thing is there, the more and more it's like selling everything else and having only that thing there. This is a characteristic of the kingdom of heaven, of the spiritualization. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This tells us immediately that nothing is more valuable than the kingdom of heaven. That means giving up the kingdom of heaven is giving up everything that you can ever give up. He puts it so very clearly 
that exactly as a pearl of great value is more valuable than all the others and you can sell all the others to get that one in the same manner the kingdom of heaven by which he means the spiritual reality is a mustard seed it is not seen it is a hidden treasure it is the east in the Tao but nevertheless you can sell everything for it therefore Jesus here simply preaches again an exclusivity of spirituality to be focused predominantly on your spiritual development on your spiritual realization and he is big time in parables once again the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was left down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish when it was full the fishermen pulled it up on the shore then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets and they threw the bad away this is how it will be at the end of the age the angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth here it is again that means the fishermen fish the fish but unfortunately after the fish have been taken out on the shore there is no more way to throw the bad ones the bad ones bad into back into the water so the bad ones will be out of the water but neither used nor back in the water they will be simply sacrificed like that in this way it is exactly like cannon fodder or whatever uh, like the expression like this and basically he simply says it very very clearly like this it will be in the end of days therefore remember that the activity of the divine forces is not equal it can linger for 2000 years and then suddenly in five years it can change everything on the surface of the earth and therefore think always about moments which are like hiatuses there have been different hiatuses in the history of the world different crossroad moments some of them very important and Jesus mentions all the time the end of the age the end of the age is a concept that concerns us so much more because indeed we are coming to the close to the end of close to the end of this age either the end of this age will be in eight years or it will be in 30 years or it will be in uh, why not 300 years nevertheless we are close to that and the world in which we live is deeply oblivious of that and it is not caring about it so you might feel tempted to have the same carelessness and to say ah it doesn't matter listen to these words because Jesus has insisted a lot on it he has said this at least three times by now that in the end of the age suddenly there will be another phase things will happen in another way have you understood all these things Jesus asked yes they replied he said to them therefore every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out his storeroom new treasures as well out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old this is a final parable here comparing it 
with the teachers of the law, which sometimes are having the old things, sometimes the new things, sometimes both of them, in the meaning that some people have accepted the new understanding, the new truth, some people did not, and basically this is what makes the difference. It's like weeding the fields. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, his hometown was now Nazareth, if you remember. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. It is very, very instructive. This applies to, it's a great proverb which says a prophet is never a prophet in his own country. It is funny to see that applied at all kinds of things and it is also first of all because of the belief in a much much more simple way this applies first of all to the medical profession for example it is a well-known thing by the doctors the medical doctors that they are never supposed unless there is an emergency but else for the regular things they are never supposed to treat their own family their next of kin why because the next of kin don't believe in you. They have seen you fooling, your, fooling around and making a fool of yourself so many times that for them you are a ridiculous little person, another Tom, Dick and Harry. And they want to look to the doctor as the doctor is God, is a man with authority. He tells them, take penicillin and you'll be healthy in seven days. And then that's like the word of God. People believe. Belief is the greatest factor in healing. That's why people believe, and that's why the good doctors are the doctors who have a lot of nerve, a lot of shamelessness, the ones who can come forth, and even if they say shit, they say it with such conviction, with such belief, that people buy it unconditionally. And sometimes miracles happen, the doctors give the wrong medication, and the patient heals anyhow. It's kind of he healed because of the belief. Well, Jesus is the same. Here you can see that this revelation of the kingdom of heaven comes on the background of belief. Even in the end it says, And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. It means it was the faith which made him do miracles. They did not have faith. He would not do miracles. People can say, but wait a second, wasn't he a great yogi, an avatar or whatever? Precisely because they did not have faith, couldn't he have come and say, okay, you have little faith, look here, I'm just going to bring your faith back. No, never. It doesn't work that way. He who has will be given more, and he who doesn't have will be taken even what he has. When you don't have faith, you don't ask for miracles, if you don't see any miracle, your faith decreases even more and you become more and more cynical and skeptical and everything. That is why faith is something which has to be cultivated. 
either faith in healing or simply faith in your own power like in self-suggestion if you don't believe in yourself if you don't believe in your own suggestion it can never become self-suggestion and you will never be able to abide by it and therefore remember that even Jesus who can be very solar and he can say let me show you a thing or two he reacts to people's faith these people did not have faith they are going on the side of the weeds they had little faith and they are cynical sarcastic skeptical it would go worse and worse and actually you see they don't recognize him and he says the great centers in a prophet only in his hometown and in his own house a prophet is without honor a prophet is not recognized in his own country he goes somewhere else people say wow this guy came from India it's kind of if you are Danish and somebody is Danish you cannot believe because he is one of our shitheads but if he comes from India ah, then maybe we can believe him because he is exotic he is coming from a place this works all the time we always reject what we have and that is why it is very difficult to teach your relatives I tell that so many times and it appears Jesus knows your relatives will never listen to you because for them you are a nerd, an asshole, a small person you are full of mistakes and they have seen them all for many years and they, it's impossible for them to believe in you that's why <clears throat> when a doctor wants to heal his wife he sends his own wife to another doctor and he says you should go and see Walter Walter is really a good doctor he has to create faith in her and she says yeah my own husband he is a weakling I have seen him doing a lot of stupid things and only I know in his private life what a ridiculous person he can be but Walter Walter is a university professor and he teaches in the college and he is a I will go I trust in Walter that's the whole thing the trust even the spirituality of Jesus it comes by trust if there is no trust Jesus cannot do miracles or better said he would but uh, he, he is not allowed by the laws of the universe remember that this works always the people from the TM from the transcendental meditation they seem to have demonstrated levitation since 20 years have you seen it? not really why not? these guys they even have a political party it's called the natural law party and once a year when they make uh, memberships for their party in different countries there is one in Denmark there is one in England <coughs> it's of course many people will say it's a phantom party a ridiculously small party nevertheless they have this project Maharishi when he was young he had some political utopias that he was going to make even a spiritual yogic political party and people were going to be convinced by levitation his pupils will levitate and will tell them see it's possible join our party we are going to save the world together this has gone much much less than they wanted why? because they simply realized that they cannot show this to too many people and slowly slowly it diluted until it became a frog hopping thing which is dubious many people seeing these TM frog hopping demonstrations they say well, this is not levitation actually if they would look very very carefully 
they will see that there is a bit of levitation into it still left and these people from the TM they know if it's five TM members who try to prove levitation and a hundred skeptics around it doesn't work it doesn't trigger fire those five people they do their normal trip they do their normal routine they try and try and it doesn't click it's mechanical and if it is a hundred TM people and five skeptics then it works but this is a very unprofitable way because you need always a hundred people to convince five if those five will be convinced that is why it doesn't work it's a matter of faith again you cannot create so easily faith in others and that is why this is the whole art of creating this faith and Jesus does it by answering he all the time answers to people's belief to people's faith just a second And therefore you see what fools these people were they had the golden egg in their middle this man was born in their town this should have been the most blessed town on earth and actually they were the most blind and the most stupid because all the time they were saying the same well isn't this the son of the carpenter it's like we have seen him as a kid playing with a circle on the street you know it's kind of what can be so big deal about the son of the carpenter because we have seen him when he was a you know a small kid what's well that's the blindness they could not realize that the son of the carpenter could have been indeed the surprise of the surprises they were not open enough to realize that a man can evolve that a man can change that this little kid of the carpenter might have become the most important human on the earth it was too much for them to believe that it could happen right then and there but you know the famous question if not now then when if not you then who this is the essence of faith the mind refuses to accept it it's like you are given the gift of everything and you still are doubting but uh, me who uh, uh, now uh, you know if not now then when this is living in the present this is the disease of the mind these people were ill by their own mind theoretically their mind have said wow if the son of the carpenter is the messiah then i'm his neighbor you know i know him since childhood i can ask any favor from him i am born in the most blessed city on earth and whatever stupid right you can't believe that much and then it's more comfortable not to believe the entropy the tamas the darkness will make it more comfortable not to believe 
believing requires a certain boldness of spirit. Remember the theory from Garudasana, that the yogis say that Garudasana makes the spirit bold. That's boldness of spirit, that you can say, wow, I believe, yes, this is big. And everybody else says, what? You are ridiculous. How can you believe such a thing? Realize, if in Nazareth was a single person who believed in Jesus, everybody else mocked them and said, what? You believe that the carpenter's son is the son of God? <laughs> How stupid you can be, don't you? It's kind of, it's, it's like this. You have a bold spirit and you suddenly say, wow, this is the son of God. Takes a big leap to do that takes a real big leap to do that. It's like you need to have a power. Maybe if you are a brahmachari and have all your sexual energy inside you, you will be crazy and you will have the power to believe. It's like a leap in awareness. But if not, you will be afraid, you will be shy, you will be timid, and your mind will not be bold. Something in you will say, maybe you should realize that this man is the son of God. But then I'm saying, yeah, but look, everybody seems to mock him. And uh, I cannot really believe that. And moreover, he's from our own town, you know. He is the son of Joseph, the carpenter. It's kind of, I need a boldness. That boldness is ultimately coming from Ajna Chakra. Remember, paradoxically, that is why everything concerning faith, belief, suggestion, self-suggestion is based on Ajna Chakra, on the boldness of one's spirit. It is at the bottom of your mind that you reach the factor which allows you to believe or not to believe, to make yourself believe or to be skeptical. Remember in the theory about the chakras that when Ajna Chakra and its glands are afflicted, this gives cynicism, this gives skepticism, this gives diabolic irony this gives exactly the opposite of faith of candid good faith it is the opposite of it like being skeptical demonic ironic and all the other things which are of a demonic nature so here also you find mention again the relatives of jesus brothers or not I told you what the issue is with these brothers and sisters, that apparently the original Greek and Aramaic names used for this are words which mean siblings or actually relatives. Uh, the linguists say that the words used for it can as well mean cousins. If you would speak about your cousins, you would have used the same word in Aramaic. And therefore, he says, aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas and aren't all his sisters with us? That's a pretty large family. Sisters means at least two, plus four brothers, that means six children, plus Jesus. So Jesus is coming from a family with minimum seven living children, if not more, because sisters can mean five as well. We don't know about that. And uh, therefore, uh, this is the eternal story. If the Virgin Mary actually had several children after having Jesus or not according to various theories. It doesn't disturb us, it's just a mention, it's one of the clefts <coughs> there which can generate discussions. If you wish to believe that James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, they were the names of the 
biological brothers of Jesus, you are very welcome to believe so. That does not destroy with anything the stature of Jesus, who is an avatar born among human beings, to change the history of this planet and to give a new horizon to the human beings. So in this way, he was born whatever, in a stable, whatever is there, nothing can change the priority of the message given by this divine spirit that is Jesus. So in this way, understand this story that miracles themselves depend on the faith. It is first the faith and then the miracles. That is why in the places where there is a lot of faith, there happen a lot of miracles. Like in Lourdes and in other pilgrimage places where they happen all the time miracles. Some of them well authenticated. Dr. Alexis Carell made a whole study of all these miracles. And he discovered that some of them are completely beyond doubt that actually there do happen miracles. And it's all of them because of the power of faith which comes together with prayer, with self-suggestion and all the other things. Therefore, <coughs> this is very important and uh, let us conclude with a small joke which comes from the Jewish environment where the citizens of the, the population of the Jewish community goes to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, there is a big drought please produce some rain for us uh, because we are dying. And the rabbi gets very angry and he said, no, I shall produce no rain for you because actually none of you believes, has faith in me that I can call rain with my prayers and with my rituals. And the citizens are kind of uh, trying to smear him and they say, but rabbi, of course we believe that you, you are powerful and your prayers can bring rain else why should we have come to you and they keep on insisting but we believe rabbi please don't it's, don't throw it onto back to us please bring us some rain with your prayers and the rabbi says no you don't believe and then they say but rabbi why do you say that we don't believe that you can produce a rain and the rabbi says because then you'd have all come with umbrellas you'd have all brought along umbrellas <laughs> so in this way it is exactly like this. Check where the faith exactly is. Let's see if you have any questions or comments or other things to be clarified until here. We have finished the 13th paragraph from the Gospel according to Matthew. Loud, please, because because of the wind, I don't hear well. You said that if there is a kind of teaching that uh, you get, and if you don't understand it, and don't practice it, it's irritating, it's lost. So that it means that if you get a certain class, you can do it later, you can try it later. Some things have their own timing. That means when you learn things 
in a process of yoga teaching it's not that you are supposed to apply everything in that day completely and so on like for example most of you here have learned about suggestion and self-suggestion how many of you have actually applied it and applied it every day and have obtained beautiful results by suggesting yourselves by changing your life in this way it doesn't mean that self-suggestion will not work for you then not in this way it is more like a global message it's like the orientation of your life like Jesus is bringing a spiritual message and it's up to people if they want to take that message up or not so no sometimes yes sometimes it can be there may be some timing factors such as you don't wish to apply brahmacharya when you will be 65 years of age that means you want to apply it then but if you knew it ever since you are 20 it's stupid to start becoming a brahmachari when you are 65 because then most your most of your ojas is already wasted and in this way you can say that god will know this that means it's kind of you knew about this and you just waited and you didn't do anything and this teaching then your ojas went like this and then in the end when you are 65 or 70 you say now i want to be a brahmachari it's it's a lost opportunity almost recommended that the yoga techniques which you learn have to be tried uh, for a period of time before you decide if you want to shelve them or do them like you get the mantra of a cosmic power you work one month with that cosmic power after which you decide if you are interested to continue or turn back to one of your previous loves you take an asana you do that asana for a couple of weeks you decide if that is relevant for you or not Either you shelve it for later, if, when you'll have time, or you simply do it like crazy, because that's exactly what you needed. So in this way, it works like this, but it doesn't mean that you are just throwing away the chance. Uh, it's more like this, you are throwing away the chance that, for example, you say, I'm going to do, I have the opportunity to study yoga, and uh, then you say, well, uh, maybe not this year and maybe not next year and then meanwhile you get some severe disease and become disabled and then you'll not be able to do yoga or your yoga school disappears or go moves to brazil or whatever and you cannot find them anymore or the third world war starts and you are in a mess and basically you then you say shit why wasn't i smart to do it when i had the opportunity i postponed and now I'm stupid that I postponed. In that way, there are things which are irreversible or almost, and you should not lose the opportunity for that because God gives it to you once, gives it to you twice, and then if you just keep turning the back to it and say in a couple of years, then maybe it doesn't happen in a couple of years anymore because you cannot play like this. There are some things in which either we yearn for the spiritual existence or we don't it's as simple as that
not enough. Remember, faith is not enough. The Apostle Paul in the Corinthians, he says, even if I had faith as much as to move the mountains and I have no love, I am nothing. I don't know where I have that. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have no love, I am nothing. That's it. Faith can be misused. Faith is just a weapon. It's an instrument of the mind. But exactly as your intelligence can show you that it's intelligent to seek for your liberation, and your intelligence can become your best ally, at the same time your intelligence can tell you to do stupid things, and then your intelligence becomes a diabolic intelligence, which makes you waste yourself. That's why intelligence alone is not enough. And faith alone is not enough. You can have faith in something bad. For example, people who are feeble and stupid, they are feeble and stupid because they believe that they are feeble and stupid. And that's faith. But it's faith misused. And yes, faith can be misused. That's the essence of the charismatic effect, of the charisma effect that Faith can be created by demons as well as by angels. Faith is a neutral force. Remember, you can make self-suggestion negatively. If you are stupid, you will suggest to yourself that you are feeble and stupid. And then you will become more so. And if you are intelligent, you can suggest to yourself that you feel God more and more, that you are close to God, that you are loved by God, that you are evolving extremely quickly. And that suggestion will give you a lot. It will give you wonderful things. That is why it is important to create the right type of faith. Because there can be wrong faith. It's very simple. Look at the so many sects. There are many sects. And some of these sects, some of them Christian sects, some of them Hindu sects, some of them, some of them they have an incredible faith. They have more faith than some... Some of them have so much faith, probably they have more faith than many people in this room. And yet, they are just some aberrant sect. But they have faith. They believe even in things which are ridiculous, monstrous, completely aberrant. But they have faith. So faith is not always divine. You can believe shit as well. which is called miracles which become possible through the transformation of the way of thinking the course about the law of perfect accomplishment in yoga those are very practical methods which teach you a lot of sub-practical things the only trick about those is that those things have not been done in the yoga class the teacher doesn't do them with you 
and therefore you might believe that they are secondary, but they are not. They are important. Sure, but remember that these are matters of karma. That means some of the effort must belong to yourself. Cannot expect the teacher to give you everything like this, because it's like Jesus, parables, inner circle, outer circle, you know, it's kind of, people are dividing themselves according to their own ripeness, it's the same here. Very much so. It's a matter about faith, all of it. There was a French guy uh, who was the analog of uh, Uri Geller, the bending metals. And this French guy, I've seen an article with him like 20 years ago, 25 years ago. This guy was bending titanium bars. That means bars made of as thick as a finger and made of an alloy which was used for aircraft industry. There was no way you could bend a titanium bar 40 centimeters long and as thick as a finger. Even with your knee, even if you put it against your knee and pulled it, you couldn't bend it because it was a huge, a hugely resistant piece of metal. And this guy was given titanium bars and in 20 minutes he could bend them with his eyes just by looking at them. And they asked him, they interviewed him, they did it in laboratory, they put him with ultraviolets and infrared and whatever, you know, the scientists, they tried all their tricks, they couldn't find out anything, nothing was unusual about this guy. And they've asked it, how did it start? And the guy said one day, I don't know, when he was 20 or whatever, he was very annoyed, he was in a very disturbed state of mind, and he just went to his car and he climbed in his car and he took out the key and then he started thinking about this problem which annoyed him and he lost himself looking at the key in the middle of the action because he was probably saying shit and fuck and whatever and I don't know why this doesn't work and, and when he looked better the key had been torn the key in his hand, the car key was useless he couldn't start his car anymore because the key was torn and then by having this he started realizing he had the power to do this and he started doing it and they asked him okay now that you found out that you can do it explain to us how you do it and his answer was disarming and amazing at the same time he said I simply believe firmly that I can do it they asked how do you do it and he simply said I know that I, I believe that I can do it and it happens when I believe it happens that's all it's just belief it's like the matrix, the spoon. Realize that there is no spoon. You know that there is a girl in Denmark who bent the spoon like this. Just like this. She saw the matrix and she was so inspired by that scene. She went home, she took a spoon, she looked at it, and she said, there is no spoon, I can bend it. And it bent. I've seen the spoon. No, it's true, that would be some karmic thing, some samskara which brought to him. This man was a man of belief, 
he was a man who could be fanatic, have a strong belief, and it is because of a samskara, a karmic samskara, that it popped up in his life like this, and made it obvious to him like this. At the same time, you cannot even say it's a good karma or a bad karma, because maybe with the same belief, he could have walked on water or raised the dead. But then he bent just some iron bars, and he got stuck there, just as a weird man who can bend bars or whatever. So in that way, there are many, many things which work exactly like this. People who eat glass, people who can become magnetic and they can stick forks and spoons to their body and all kind of weird things like this which are entirely belo belonging to the belief. Complete. If the person believes, they have That is why the most important thing is how to learn to produce this belief. That's the whole art. That is why many people who wanted to build in their mind beliefs which were completely different from anything on this planet, they chose to live alone. That means, can human beings fly through the air? Yes, if you live 20 years alone like Milarepa and forget all the shit which was put in your head by the rest of the world. Because the rest of the world has put in your brain the shit that human beings cannot fly. To take that out of that mind, you need to go in a cave and live alone. And if you live alone for 40 years without sending, seeing anybody, you may start to believe basically anything you wish. That's the way. Because every time you'll meet with somebody, they will try to reinforce your wrong belief by saying, but Milarepa, wait a second, people don't fly. That's a belief. That person believes in it, and they are about to ruin your faith. Therefore, you, if they disturb you, you better go alone and build up your own faith. Let's stop for now. Thursday we have another lecture continuing the teachings from Jesus. Okay. Is it somebody else's birthday tonight, exception made of Andres? Nobody else, let's have him in front here and do a blessing on him. Those of you who know the blessing technique. Came to such a lecture in your birthday. So, prepare for a blessing. Those of you who know the blessing, those of you who do not know the blessing, you may simply wish him the best from your heart. Let us start the blessing process now. Your baptism name is? Andres. Andres.
Here, I'll copy this. It's still recording. <laughs> okay. Okay, start from the beginning. Okay, you just oh, wait. I'll, I'll start a new one. It would be easier to show the view on the computer.